Welcome to the Nurse Wellbeing Mission podcast, hosted by me, Nathan Illman. This is the place where nurse and midwife wellbeing are at the top of the agenda. Each episode aims to help nurses and midwives around the world flourish through informative, inspiring and practical content and conversations. Darcy, so thank you so much for joining me for this conversation. We're here to talk about one of your uh, recent research articles. If you could just start by introducing yourself, telling us a little bit about who you are, where you work, and maybe just a little bit of background to the article we're going to cover today, which is about brief interventions to support uh, nurses' well-being in the workplace. Yeah, sure. So it's nice to meet you. Thank you for inviting me to to do this. My name is Darcy Copeland. I am nurse researcher in the United States. I live in Colorado. I, my primary job, I, I kind of have two different roles in my professional life. My primary job is as an associate professor of nursing at the University of Northern Colorado. And then I have a second position as a nurse scientist at a hospital outside of Denver. And as a nurse scientist there, I, I kind of have a couple different roles, but you know, on one hand, I help staff implement best practices into their everyday work. And then I also conduct original research, which is what you discovered was some of the original research that I had done as a part of that position as a nurse scientist. My clinical background is in mental health nursing. So I've always been interested in, you know, mental health and well-being initially, obviously of patients, but as my position has morphed and changed over time, like you, I've become more and more interested in kind of the mental health of our clinical providers, in my case, particularly nurses, but I'm interested in the mental health of all of our (laughs) clinicians. And so that's my research of late has really been focused on issues of kind of moral distress and compassion fatigue and burnout and secondary traumatic stress that nurses, particularly nurses experience. And presumably from your own personal experience and and with the seeing the nurses that you work with, I imagine you've you've come across some of this stuff right just witnessing colleagues uh, mental health suffering and people struggling with burnout the stuff that you talk about in your research you've witnessed it firsthand absolutely yes so well thank you for doing this research it's really important isn't it I think there is quite a paucity of research in this area and it's great that you've um, decided to focus on on this so we're going to talk about this uh this paper today i think just you i suppose you've given a little bit of a, a bit of context haven't you as to why you maybe wanted to do this study so if we just talk a little bit um, more about that the, the context of burnout and compassion fatigue and that sort of thing that you write about in the introduction to this study would you be able to just give us a little bit of a overview of some of those topics that you cover and also sort of what you decided to measure in this study and the outcomes that you were you were sort of hoping to investigate? Yeah, so in this particular study, I was looking at the effects of brief, so number one, brief interventions that were done while nurses were at work, the effects of those interventions on their burnout secondary traumatic stress, compassion satisfaction. I can mention those a a little more in just a second. And there's a lot of research indicating that the phenomenon of teamwork in healthcare, among healthcare providers and burnout are inversely related. So the more burnout providers have, the worse their teamwork is, the better their teamwork is, the less burnout they have. So I also looked at teamwork in the context of the study. So the instrument I use to measure burnout 
is sort of sits under this kind of larger framework of what is referred to as professional quality of life. So the particular model of professional quality of life kind of differentiates professional quality of life as two things. On one side is compassion satisfaction, which is all of the like warm, fuzzy goodness we get when we help other people. You know, all the, we want more and more and more of that. And then the flip side of that is compassion fatigue. And this particular model breaks compassion fatigue into two components, one being secondary traumatic stress, which is kind of the emotional burden of you know, repeatedly being in contact with humans who are suffering. And then the other side of that is burnout. And burnout in this particular model refers more to kind of workplace situational things like um, short staffing and lack of resources and just the amount of work and the time you have to do the work. It's more of that kind of operational stuff. So it takes burnout and secondary traumatic stress and collapses that into compassion fatigue. So I measured professional quality of life using this instrument and an instrument that one of our federal agencies has to measure healthcare teamwork. Okay. And so I guess, uh, so for nurses listening to this, who you know, sort of don't have any kind of technical or, or uh, scientific background, not familiar with these terms and things, the compassion fatigue is sort of like, it's the negative effects of, of uh some aspects of nursing work, right? It's like you said, there's the occupational factors, the stresses of the job and the the, the sort of emotional aspect of, of tr- potentially traumatic things that they're witnessing or hearing about or whatever as part of that role. Exactly. One thing I do like about this particular model of professional quality of life is that it doesn't only focus on the idea of compassion fatigue. I mean, compassion fatigue is definitely something we want to decrease among healthcare providers, but it also recognizes that there's this other part of our work that is referred to as compassion satisfaction, that we can do things to potentially bolster that. So it's not necessarily just about reducing compassion fatigue. We can also do things to increase our compassion satisfaction. Right. And I suppose for yeah, the issue with compassion fatigue, right, is you know, obviously not coming from a nursing background, but as a psychologist, you know, this is something I've sort of seen and witnessed myself with other colleagues. It's where you kind of you almost feel like your almost your attitude towards the work and towards your clients or your patients might change when you're feeling that, right? It's the mm-hmm. sort of perhaps not paying as much attention and or feel the feeling of not wanting to go into work sometimes and it's quite can have quite serious effect kind of on the the quality of the work and and also presumably teamwork which is why you you're measuring that exactly okay so i suppose do you want to talk us through um the the, the methodology that you use so you, you mentioned it's specifically looking at brief interventions maybe actually talk a little bit about why you chose brief interventions we, we were talking about that before we started recording weren't we sort of the context to that why is that important to look at brief interventions and then tell us about the ones that you chose and maybe why you chose those ones that kind of thing sure so i also have a lot of interest and in, have do work in issues of kind of ethics and moral distress and so i i kind of approached this with the idea that all of these things, burnout, compassion fatigue, secondary traumatic stress, are work-related injuries. And if we sort of think about them as work-related, then it sort of changes kind of who has the onus to maybe prevent them. 
Mm-hmm. So rather than kind of telling nurses, you know, you need to take care of yourselves, you need to protect yourselves, you know, in your off time, you should, you know, eat well and sleep well and exercise and spend time with family and, and do all those things to take care of yourselves when you're not at work. So I wanted to kind of reframe that. And again, framing it as a, as a work-related injury that we need to do something about it while you're here at work. <laughs> like it's, it is our workplace's responsibility to help mitigate some of this stuff. So knowing that I wanted to find things that nurses could do, realistically do, while they were at work being paid, necessitated that they be brief little nuggets of things that wouldn't be, you know, overburdensome in the course of their work, but, and also could be justified paid time. So that was the rationale for the brief part of it. So the, the, I think you asked about the methodology, sorry, the methodology was really a pilot study. I wanted to see kind of primarily, would it work if I asked nurses to take five minutes out of their workday to do these things, would they do it? So that's kind of the acceptability piece. And could they do it? Like, would they find a way to fit it into their schedules in a way that works? So acceptability and feasibility were really the two primary things I was looking at with the intention of figuring out if, if it was acceptable to people and if they were able to do it, you know, maybe launching it on a, on a larger scale. So the secondary piece of it was really to look at outcomes. And because it was a small pilot study, drawing statistical conclusions is a little dicey, nevertheless, did see good outcomes, which is always good. So the brief interventions that I chose to implement were all out there in the literature. This is all evidence-based stuff. So the, the interventions I chose were journaling, and I asked participating nurses to do one of these activities, whatever, I randomized them into one of these groups and just asked them to do whatever activity they were assigned to for five minutes during every shift they worked for six weeks. So the, so one group was asked, I provided them with a journal with some prompts because not everybody knows how to journal. So it had some, some prompts in it. So one group was asked to journal for five minutes while they were at work. One group was asked to meditate for five minutes while they were at work. And I just showed them how to access. There are several um, apps out there, um, but ones that could, that had five minute meditations. Um, so they were asked to meditate for five minutes. One group was asked to spend five minutes outdoors. We have the luxury at our hospital to have kind of a, we call it a healing garden. So it's just, you know, a nice space that we can, it's quiet for patients and there's, you know, grass and flowers and fountains. And so I asked a group to spend five minutes out there with no cell phones and no pagers, just to literally, you know, observe nature for five minutes. And then the last group, I asked them to practice gratitude. So a little different than the other five minute um, intervention. So they were asked to do two things. They were asked to, um, to thank three people every day and just recognize it could be a patient, it could be a staff member, it could be a family member, but just to thank and recognize at least three people a day. So those are the interventions. That- Fantastic. And um, with the journaling, do you mind just explaining a little bit? Because I know you had some prompts, didn't you? So because a lot of people, when they when you say do journaling, they say, well, what am I journaling on? <laughs> right. 
Yeah. And let me, okay. So I can tell you the prompt. So yeah, I gave everybody a journal and on the kind of inside cover of the journal, I just taped these prompts so I can read to you what they were. If they chose to use them, if they didn't, that was fine. So one was how would a patient visitor or colleague observer describe a particular situation that you encountered? That's one prompt. The best thing that happened today was uh, what I would have done differently if I could. This was unexpected and here's what I did. The situation that touched me the most today was, would you believe this happened? <laughs> <laughs> the way I got through this was, mm -hmm. so those were the prompts that I put in there. If That's they a really nice ones, aren't they? I suppose it's like getting people to think about changing perspective and sort of building their self-efficacy of thinking about how did I, how did I do this? What strength, you know, getting people to think about their strengths and stuff, isn't mm -hmm. it as well? Okay, nice. And, and so you mentioned, I suppose, before we go on to the results of what you found, It'd be good just to cover a little bit more about, so you've, you've picked these five minute interventions. These are all from, like you said, they're evidence-based. I'm, I'm actually really curious to know, because you sort of reviewing the, your introduction about existing research that has looked at some of these other programs and things that have been beneficial. Mm -hmm. And the conclusions are largely that stress management and mindfulness-based interventions, these sorts of things are beneficial for burnout, at least in the short term. But some of them, take a long time to implement don't they so exactly. i'm curious to know from your sort of personal and professional perspective sort of where you sit with these how you feel about those sorts of things i mean obviously you've, you chose to research the brief ones but yeah what's your take on the longer kind of more intensive uh, interventions well there's plenty of evidence out there that these things in long stints work Things like you mentioned, like mindfulness. We know mindfulness has a positive effect on our mental well-being. That that we've had we've got decades of research that tells yeah. us that. I think we don't know as much, you know, actually now that you mentioned this, I think an area of kind of research opportunity is to look at sort of dose response. You know, this particular study I did seems to indicate that, you know, an hour of meditation is great and we know it will improve mental health and well-being. Well, well, maybe five minutes of meditation will also have an effect on people's mental health and well-being. So if you want to do 60 minutes then and, and are able, then that's great. But if you can only do five minutes, then do it. Don't feel like you have to commit to a long, prolonged kind of intervention. I don't know. I guess it, com it comes back to the same old thing. It's just there's such individual differences with people as well, aren't there? And, and you, I know you mentioned it, I think, in your discussion, which we'll come to, but you, I think you said about, you know, that we actually you know, moving forward, you maybe need to look at people's prior experience with certain interventions. Some people might be more versed in uh, gratitude practice or whatever. So the effect they get from it might be more or less than someone else. And so it's just, I suppose it just highlights the complexity of psychological interventions, doesn't it? And there's, there's plenty of scope for, you know, for, for examining this stuff in finer grain detail, but it's, it's quite hard, isn't it? To, <laughs> to sort of control all these things. And to that point, I mean, I purposefully randomized people into what group they were in yeah just to sort of dampen the possibility that people would gravitate to something that they were already new and were comfortable doing i didn't want that to necessarily you know i, I don't know for sure that it would have impacted the outcome but i wanted to eliminate the possibility 
Yeah, yeah, it's a nice, uh, nice move to try and reduce the impact of that. Okay, so you've got a group of nurses. They've been randomised to one of four groups. So you've got uh, journaling, gratitude, meditation, and outside time. Mm-hmm. So tell us about what you found. The, the results. Uh, you don't have to tell us this. You know, the specific data. I'm not going to be that unkind to you. <laughs> but just you can just summarise what you found. So going back to those initial two kind of questions about feasibility and acceptability. Mm-hmm. Overwhelmingly, yes, it was feasible. They Nurses were able to do this. And in terms of acceptability, nurses did it. I had them keep track of how often they did it. And more than 80% of the shifts that they worked, they actually committed to doing these things. So in terms of feasibility and acceptability, hands down, these things can and will be done if people want to do them and or have the opportunity to do them. Probably the more interesting thing that you're <laughs> that you're kind of getting at with the are the effects that preliminary effects again is small sample size but nevertheless did see positive effects in burnout particularly burnout and secondary traumatic stress and certain elements of teamwork. The I would have to look at the Specific statistics here, but I want to say it was the journaling group, I believe, kind of came out on top. Mm -hmm. Their scores tended to change the most. All of the scores changed, no matter what group a person was in, their, you know, their scores tended in the right direction. Teamwork increased, burnout, secondary, and traumatic stress decreased. But I believe it was the journaling group that kind of had the best kind of effects with, I think, the gratitude group kind of coming in close behind. And, and you you actually ran the study, didn't you? So you were on the ground with these nurses and delivering this, you know, the, the um, study protocol and stuff. So, I mean, what's, and you you mentioned, uh, you, you, you provide in the paper, there's some examples of sort of qualitative feedback, isn't there, from these nurses yeah. and their experience of it. So just talk a little bit about that, uh, you know, what they said in terms of its acceptability, but also in terms of maybe some of the feedback they gave you about the specific interventions? Yeah, sure. I'll read a a couple of the the comments. So somebody from the gratitude group said that I do believe it made a difference with every person. It definitely promotes positivity. Somebody from the journaling group said journaling really helps me and I will continue. Nurses need to use every strategy possible. It helps me wind down after my shift and reflect on my personal accomplishments for the day. Mm. Somebody from the meditation group said on days that I was really fatigued, it helped me feel a bit refreshed. I found the practice itself very relaxing and comfortable. I think I'll continue to practice it. Somebody from the outside group said I came back feeling like some heaviness or negative energy was released from the back of my head and neck. I felt lighter. It did make a difference. I was able to relax and unwind before coming back to the floor. I didn't realize how much stress builds up in such a small amount of time. Right. So yeah, I mean, to your point, like this, this sort of qualitative narrative does really kind of speak volumes to. It was really nice to see that you put that in as well, because I think it, you know, when we're looking at just quantitative data so to non-researchers that means basically just numbers and statistics mm-hmm. it, it kind of strips away the human element sometimes doesn't it it's i think it's it's, it's nice you sort of um it's bringing back to the front it's like actual human beings that you've done this research with and this is how their experience of it I'm, and how grateful i am to hear people say first of all that it worked 
And, oh, I think I'll continue doing it. I mean, that's yeah. just, that that's is fantastic. happy news for a researcher. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, just like I, I was excited about your results and I'm, I'm aware it's a pilot study and it's a small mm-hmm. sample. And, and um, of course, you know, as a sort of, researching myself like I understand some of those limitations I think but I am also I think it's great that you looked at that adherence and feasibility side of things because from my perspective I'm, I'm interested in in organizational interventions and I, I feel the same way you do about that moral responsibility of you know, as a workplace-based injury organizations and well here the health system is largely funded by the government so it feels mm-hmm. like a government like a societal responsibility um, but we need things that are going to be workable don't we for nurses because it's you know the research is really clear about there being when nurses are very time poor on the job and there's there's it's so many demands that actually doing the 12-hour meditation course is just not going to happen for most <laughs> nurses and what we need is scalable interventions don't we so i think actually the adherence and feasibility part is as important as the whether it's, it works because you need to you need to establish that something is possible for everyday nurses don't you right exactly exact same sentiments <laughs> yeah yeah so i suppose uh, taking this forward then you, you this is a pilot study have you do you have any intention or are you in the process of expanding upon it or what are your sort of like next steps with it so the hospital i work at is part of a, a larger system. I've got kind of side rails on a couple other projects that I've been working on, but now hope to come back to this and do exactly what you were saying, kind of implement this on, on a bit of a larger scale and at multiple, trying to do it at multiple locations now. So okay. collaborating with nurse scientists at these other facilities would be my next step. And um, I'm interested to know what your... So, I mean, I suppose like journaling came out as top, but it's something you probably want to investigate a bit more with a larger sample. Do you have any advice for nurses in general who might be watching this? I mean, based on the conclusions you found, and maybe just your personal experience of using some of these interventions, what, what would your advice be for you know the average nurse, if you like, who's, who's watching or listening to this conversation? That's a really good question. And kind of to add to what I just mentioned about how have I sort of continued this work, a major way I've continued this work is on a weekly basis, I encounter someone or a group or in a meeting, some pushback about the idea that that these types of things are easy to implement and can be done. So I, I've definitely gotten resistance that I'm constantly sort of pushing back against. I hear a lot, we talked before you started recording, I hear a lot of providers say, I just don't have time. You know, I don't have time to do that. I don't have time to take care of myself. And I, like I said, I push back on at least a weekly basis to really have people kind of reflect on that. Like, really, you do have time. Everybody has five minutes. Everybody has five minutes. Yeah. They just don't kind of, I don't know, realize they have five minutes. So people, I think, get sort of caught in this rut of thinking that, like you were saying, like, to take care of myself, I need to devote buckets of time and energy when that's really not the case. Taking care of ourselves can be really small snippets of things. It can be purposefully thanking people in my workplace, purposefully finding something to recognize in another person, purposefully spending time outside 
listening to birds, watching the wind, you know, blow the, the grass. Yeah. So really just really trying to instill in people that taking care of yourself does not have to be like we were saying earlier, it doesn't have to be an hour at the gym. It doesn't have to be an hour long yoga class or meditation. It can be these, you can take care of yourselves in much, much smaller ways that every single solitary person has the time to do. I don't care how busy you are. Right. It's it's really fascinating. I guess I suppose to, to sort of hang what you've just said onto a bit of a sort of psychological like concept. It's you're talking about mindset really around self-care, aren't you? It's it's a mindset is like our beliefs and attitudes and expectations about a particular thing. So it's there's this misconception or misguided mindset about what self-care is and, and how one achieves self-care or yeah, yeah sort of well-being that it, many people I think nurses, but I think many, many people in general think that it needs to be the day long yoga or meditation retreat or, or going to the gym five times a week or whatever. But actually what you're saying and you're sort of encouraging advising here is that it's small things. It's it's several minutes. And that's something we know from the, the research literature about habits. You know, it's it's actually small actions we take each day that then become a habit that then lead to this kind of like virtuous cycle, basically, of, of taking better care of ourselves. So I'm really pleased you found some preliminary evidence to support this. And I think it's it's really powerful, isn't it? When because at the end of the day, you, you've got to change people's minds about this, haven't you? Like you're saying, you're every on a weekly basis, you're coming up against this mindset. Mm-hmm. And actually, when someone like you does research, you can say, "Well, we found this, and this is a piece of evidence to to, right. to kind of." Yeah. People have a great capacity to brush it off. Yes, yeah. <laughs> you know something else we were talking about before you started recording some of. Other work I've done, you know, after it was specifically code events and getting teams together to to talk about the experience. And, you know, in that a common comment was we don't have time after a code event in an, in an emergency department. We don't have time to get together to debrief it and talk about how things went and how we're doing. Again, that was another study that we really sort of proved that, you know, even in a busy emergency department, a busy trauma center, the staff found time to do it and found it effective. And to sort of counter this narrative that providers have that I don't have time to do it, I have to get back out to work, kind of flipping that back on people and asking them, okay, if if you're, let's pretend Nathan, I'll pretend you're my colleague. If you came to me and said, Darcy, I need to take five minutes to step outside. I would nine times out of 10, probably be like, absolutely, Nathan, you know, go take your five minutes. I could totally cover for you. Not a problem. But we have this, like you're saying, this mindset that we have to get back out there when, I don't know, we don't extend the same compassion, I guess, to ourselves that we know we would our colleagues. If if our colleagues came to us and said, hey, here's what I needed, yeah, we would do it. Yeah. It's a really interesting shift, I think, isn't it, that, that we need to support people to make both at an individual level but then with organizations and and it all becomes about the culture within the organization doesn't it of yeah which as you know is hard to change (laughs) okay darcy well thank you so much for talking about that paper with me today as i said yeah i'd love to talk to you more about some of your other research another time um if people would like to find you and look up your other research where's the best place for them to go so again i my primary work site is at the university of northern colorado in the school of nursing so you can you know find your faculty profiles through there would probably be the, the easiest place okay perfect thank you very much yeah thank you